My first year of college, Civil War II broke out. Pretty weird, huh? Welcome to episode 48 of Comical Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Corbett, and with me is... What's up, guys? It's Heather, a.k.a. the female. You're not the only female on the show tonight. We also have a special Thank guest. Thank God. Miss Blake Northcott. <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you doing today, Blake? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a crazy week here, so but I'm excited, and uh, it's great to be joining your show. We're really happy to have you. Absolutely. Our listeners must notice that uh, Horse Decles Miguel is not here again. Uh, he had a family situation that came up last minute. He really wanted to be here. He was really excited to talk to Blake, but just couldn't make it happen. So. We're going to call him Horse to Shame. <laughs> Coming. That's right. Horse to Shame. That's his new name. He's got Horse to Please, 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 Freeze. Now it's Horse to Shame. That's it. Fair enough. Yeah. He does a lot of characters on the show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he has all kinds of personalities and identities. He's not sure which one he is every week, so... It keeps it lively, that's for sure. That's good. Well, I'm going to start out talking about this week's comics. I did read a huge list. Uh, my top book for the week was Evil Empire number 7 from Max Bemis and Andrea Muti. Uh, it's a continuation of the story with the evil president who's created this society of anarchy in the U.S. and the rebels that are fighting against him. Uh, the rebels are getting more brave. There's a scene in the book where the leader of the rebels basically goes up to one of his press conferences and he won't kill her in public and she won't do anything to him in public either. And for all the cameras, they're keeping the peace. Well, she goes up and spray paints uh, a very offensive message about him on the side of the White House with everybody recording it. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. There's a lot of funny stuff that happens in the book, stuff like that, her antagonizing the president without actually doing anything physical to him and him trying to find some way to eliminate her subtly without anybody realizing a lot of back and forth. It's a great series. It's been great since the very first book. It's a little bit political, obviously, but I love it. Highly recommend picking it up. Yeah, I totally agree. The artwork is pretty phenomenal in that book. Yes, it is. Uh, Andrea Muti is very talented. And Joe Eisma did one of the issues, too, and I really loved his issue. Who doesn't like him? Yeah. Uh, then my second pick for the week is uh, Life After, number five, which is written by our friend Joshua Hale Fyalkov and drawn by Gabo. Uh, this is a continuation of Ernest Hemingway and Jude, who are trapped in this suspended cage somewhere above purgatory. And they find out that the woman that Jude saved in the first issue is in the cave next to him. And she's planning on killing whoever released her from wherever she was because she went through this whole traumatic thing where she got moved to a different purgatory. The purgatory for people that had lived a good life. And she had a child and she had a husband and everything was good. But then the powers of the bee came and ripped her away from that life because she had been misplaced. So she remembers having the kid. She remembers all the positive things that happened. And now she's going to be forced to go back to the terrible afterlife for suicides, which is not where she wants to be. There's also a little twist at the end, what happened to her husband and child. And I can't wait to read the next issue because it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I can't recommend this book enough. I love everything Fialca does. Go pick it up. And then lastly, a book that came out this week, a new book from Justin Jordan and Ariella Christentina. I hope I said that right. 
uh, called Deep State Number One. And this is a book about all the, the things the government tries to cover up, aliens and experimental testing and things like that. They try to keep the general public from finding out about these things. But sometimes things go wrong and that information is at risk of coming out. So this story follows one of the men in black who's out recruiting a very gifted scientist who he wants to join with him and go and uh, investigate this crashed meteor. Turns out that it's actually a Russian space satellite which had crashed and it was full of aliens. And the cops in this small podunk town where it's at are not prepared to deal with it. So it's a really interesting read. Uh, I really am a fan of Justin Jordan's writing. Uh, another one that I would highly recommend checking out. So Blake. <laughs> yes, I have to say uh, I uh, I haven't read those ones. I'm actually quite, quite a bit behind on my comic book reading right now. Um, I've been so busy writing and it's one of the areas I wish I had more time to get caught up on. Uh, I did pick up Superior Iron Man oh, number yeah. one. Yeah, just picked that up and read that. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I posted something about it on Facebook today just because the, the cover, you know, really just was calling to me with this purple suit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, it was actually it was pretty interesting. I liked it. It was a bit more lighthearted, you know. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I liked it. Definitely a different take on Tony Stark. I mean, it's going yeah. back to his pure kind of jerk roots where he doesn't really care about people and he's all about himself. Yeah, it's kind of a – it's strange for me anyway. I don't really think of him that way in my mind. But I don't anymore either. But I don't. <laughs> when he was written back in the 60s and 70s, he was definitely that guy. Right. It's kind of weird to see him back to that place after he's been good for so long. Right. But I guess that's part of the reason why, you know, they're taking a bit of a, of a change of pace and – Making it a bit a bit different, and the twist ending. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, it's it's just I I thought it was pretty good. I really liked it as well. Yeah. It seems like there could be maybe someone from the past coming back to change his attitude. Right. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> it ties in. It ties into everything that's going on with Axis as well, uh, with all of the characters being inverted, and the good guys are starting to show their villainous tendencies, and all the villains are trying to be good guys now. Right. Have you read any of the, the villain books, like Carnage or Hobgoblin or anything? No. No, I haven't. Not yet. They're pretty funny because they're very yeah. terrible at trying to be good guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always funny, trying to see uh, complexity there between the character wanting to do one thing and go the other way. But the Superior Spider-Man was, I don't know, I thought that was interesting with Doc Octopus trying to be a good guy. You know, just kind of spins your head to put them in that other that other role. Um you yeah, I, could, I can only imagine, like, especially if you're following those characters pretty closely, you know, for, for me, not not really being an avid comic reader like probably yourself or even Justin and, and Miguel, um, I can't imagine, like, these, you know, these really evil characters trying to be a good guy and how awkward that has to be and you're reading it and you're like, oh my god, just hurry up and kill somebody or do something <laughs> awful, just, just cause some havoc somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, we, we were big fans of Superior Spider-Man. It was a shame that it ended so soon. We actually were hoping it would go for another year. But I guess it all kind of makes sense now with Axis going on and everything. Right. Right. Well, I guess the thing, too, is that there's so um, much more immediacy with the monthly books. Because in the movies, you know, they take years to make. And the characters tend to be, I don't know, like I find that in the, in the books, there's much more ability to, and dynamics to switch them around, I guess. Because they come out you know, monthly. Right. Now you can definitely do a lot more in the comics because it's a more flexible medium, but the movie ones have to be more geared towards the general audience. People that aren't familiar with characters, right? Right. Right. 
So have you read anything besides Superior Iron Man recently that you really enjoyed? Uh, well, I did end up, um, I read The First Witches because I did an interview with Scott Snyder. So I got a preview for that. I mean, mind you, that was a couple of months ago. And I have read the first one. And I have to say I haven't quite finished the second one yet. But I really enjoyed that. I mean, it was it was a different type of comic for me to take on because I don't typically go for, like, horror-type, um, you know, disturbing, kind of really dark, edgy stuff. Right. And I found that that was really what the, the kind of core grittiness had with witches. Um, after I did the interview with him, I really got an interesting kind of take on where he was coming from and what he was doing with that that story, which kind of blew me away that I guess in my mind, I don't really think of horror type stuff as being so deep. Do you know what I mean? And having so many layers to it. It, um, it can definitely be shallow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends, I guess, on the situation and what what's being explored there. But the way he's exploring it. <laughs> Um, and, you know, even the fact that there's some heart there between the father and son relationship, I really, I really like that. You know, he's becoming a parent at the same time. And, you know, when I talked to, to Scott about that, he was saying that that's where it comes from with him is because he's a father. So he puts some of that in his, in his work as well. Right. Like the, the deep fears that every parent might have kind of translates well to, to the book. That's kind of what I've heard from several of the horror writers that we've talked to. Right. They definitely like to put their own lives into the stories and, and explore their deepest fears. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine it might have been hard to sell that to some to, you know, some companies. Like, I'm going to make this book about like people's deep, dark fears and all that. But it really came off well. I mean, the, the artwork is, I really liked it too. It's got it's very dark kind of imagery and, yeah, scary. I don't know, something about it, the way it's in the woods... It's just and creepy. Trees, Very it's creepy, creepy book. And it, it's kind of, for me, reminiscent of the Blair Witch Project. You know, like all these creepy people jumping out of trees and you're deep in the forest. Like there's all this, I don't know, like forest imagery, which being maybe like left alone and all that. But it has sold apparently uh, 90,000 copies. So the mainstream is really picking up on it, I think. I was uh, left alone in the woods once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a Girl Scout camp by my buddy. She just left me there. That's terrible. So yeah, now are you afraid to camp ever again? I don't know. You know, I think you know not really, not really. But uh, you know, I, I've never seen the Blair Witch Project. Really? No. I think if you did, you wouldn't want to go into the forest again. <laughs> I think it's That's, kind of yeah. turned some people that way, where it's like not me. Free. It'd probably be quite the opposite because I enjoy that kind of thing. So yeah. Nothing, nothing really terrifies me or scares me. I'm, I'm totally soulless at this point. So, I think the other thing too is people who live in big cities. They're terrified. I think a little bit of the woods because it's not around them. They're not used to it. Like Scott admitted to being, you know, from downtown New York City. He's a native from there, and he said he always feared the woods just in general because you know it's so far out of his maybe daily life it's like the unknown right you're not comfortable it's not your comfort zone yeah so i just see that yeah especially if you're used to seeing tall buildings and tons of people yeah and you know there's a starbucks on every corner and then all of a sudden you're in a bunch of trees and you're like oh shit what am i gonna do You'd definitely be pretty isolated <laughs> out there <laughs> yeah i think that, that that isolation factor is a good jumping off point for for horror you know I don't know. I guess it brings me back to, um, like, Jack Nicholson. Oh, my gosh. You know he's in the – I can't even remember the name right now. Ugh. When he's Shiny. in the – Yes. 
Oh my gosh. He's in, you know, like I remember like just seeing the empty rooms and he's going insane. And, you know, like that was pretty, pretty freaky. That isolation, I feel like drove him kind of crazy. And it's a hard thing to capture, but Snyder has definitely done it with witches. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's move on then. Let's talk about uh, your stuff. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. I'm actually uh, fairly unfamiliar with your work. I, I uh, pledged to your Kickstarter today because I do want to read Arena Mode. It sounds pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, well, I have to say, like, I, I think every Kickstarter that goes through, more and more people kind of find out about it. And I hear the same thing all the time with each Kickstarter. Oh, I, did, I wish I'd known about this from the beginning. You know, like, there's some people who haven't read it right from the beginning, but that's kind of the good thing because with the way it runs, you know, you can pick up in the third Kickstarter, you're still able to get all the books, right? So you can start from the beginning if you want to at this point. Um, I don't really know, like, what do you want to know? You can ask me anything about it. Do you want about, um, like, Arena Mode in general or the whole trilogy or Kickstarter? Let's just talk about the the trilogy overall. Like, what is the story about? Okay. um, You know, there's a lot of different themes that run through it, but it's basically about the protagonist that I created named Matthew Moxon. And he discovers that he has an inoperable tumor in his brain. And so he he needs millions of dollars for this surgery to fix to fix the tumor. And his life is kind of taking on a new meaning because he's looking back and saying, what have I accomplished? Like, you know, when you're faced with that fear of death, it's kind of like right in your face there. He's coming up with kind of against a wall, like looking back at his life saying, wow, like I'm you know, potentially facing death. What have I accomplished? What have I done? So in turn, there's going to be that in the future, I've said it in a, you know, in the future, and there's superheroes at this point who are just a part of general society. And, you know, I, I always love, like right now, I love MMA. I'm an MMA fan. And when I watch, you know, certain types of sports, I'm always thinking everything is becoming so violent with, um, you know, hockey and just, football and MMA, like everything just seems to be ramping up. And I always thought, what would it be like in the future? You know, who knows what we're going to be watching as a sporting event, like 30, 40 years from now. So I always thought it was funny. Like I I remember hearing about, you know, back in the Roman days and they had like gladiatorial fights, you know, with people just going crazy talking about that. And I just thought, you know, that is really interesting. So, um, in the Arena Mode series, anyway, I'm going off topic here. The billionaire, the billionaire who schedules a fighting tournament with 12 superhumans. And he ends up kind of scamming his way into this event um, because there's this huge, like, $10 billion prize. Okay. So he ends up getting through that um, with his – he's, like, a very smart smart guy who can kind of weasel his way in there and figure out what he wants to do to try and win. And he has an off-the-charts IQ because of this tumor that's kind of like pressing in different areas of his brain. Okay. Um, so that's the kind of hook of the story. I don't want to give it – I don't know how, how many people have read it, so I don't know if I want to say exactly like how it ends, what happens, but that's the hook of, the, of Arena Mode. Um, and then the next one, Assaulter Attrition, kind of goes through the repercussions of that, the fallout after the Arena Mode, like what's happened to him, how he deals with it. You know, him kind of being this idea of being with with isolation. He isolates himself a little bit. So, yeah, it's like each book kind of has a different theme throughout. But And it also incorporates, obviously, the artwork, which is, you know, amazing. It's one of the coolest things that I've I've noticed looking you up and reading about all this stuff is that you have a lot of 
legitimate comic book artist providing art for the stories. Yeah, I really, when I came up with the idea, you know, to have like this hybrid type novel, um, I wasn't sure what kind of a response I would get from, you know, contacting different artists to see if they'd have any interest in doing something like, like this. And I was just blown away by how many of them were so interested and almost like liked the idea of working outside of the regular scope of a comic book. You know, just because to be kind of given just an idea of this is like a character, like an otherworldly character who has this and this as a superhero. Just go crazy and be be creative. I just kind of gave them the freedom to do what they wanted. And in turn, I'm just blown away by how the characters evolved from that. Like I'm just the, the artwork that came back from that experience has been amazing. You can see, I mean, in the samples and things that I use for the books that having the different layers too with like one you know one artist is penciling another might be inking and another is you know like it just it looks amazing i'm just so pleased with how it turned out yeah everything i've seen has been really impressive well yeah i'm hoping that you know this time i try to add kind of different artists throughout each one because i don't want it to be the same each time um this time we've added uh david nakayama um he's the cover artist for marvel he does deadpool and i just I was blown away. I did not ever think he would want to do, he'd have time or would want to do this project. So I'm like, Yahoo score. <laughs> you know, like, he's so awesome. Like they're just incredible. You know, like I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Is there something you look for specifically in an artist or is it, is it just kind of by chance or by luck or, you know, how do you go about selecting somebody uh, to draw for what you're writing? Okay. So and some of the characters that I, I knew were going to be in the in the novel, like there's one that's this otherworldly character who's become very popular and her name was Brinja. Mm -hmm. And I knew that she was going to be sort of this like ethereal type, like a ghostly affected kind of like quality to her. And I just thought that because of the artwork I have seen from Natasha um, Allegri before, I was like, wow, she would just be a great kind of matchup for that idea. And luckily she agreed. You know, she agreed with the idea to do the, the artwork and to be um, more of a kind of like the more of the prototypical superhero. I asked Steve McNiven because I just picture him as being more like his stuff to his background would be more influential and kind of more with superheroes. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's been great with working with all the different artists for sure. That's really amazing. So what made you um, decide to write novels instead of going the actual graphic novel or comic book route? Comics take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many moving parts. There's, you know, when you take on a novel, I have total control over what is going to be written. And I just, I like that self-publishing just has come so far um, in the last like five, ten years that, you know, I think if you're up and current on the different forms of social media. It's just a really good platform right now. Um, you know, the Amazon Kindle is more viable than ever before for, you know, self-publishing. And I'm really finding, I like the fact that I can interact with people daily about the books, about their experience reading the books. You know, I'm in just really control of what I put out there. And I like that. Like I, I mentioned before in a couple of other um, interviews that I just my stuff too isn't really like fitting exactly into their categories you know when they have their um, specific category maybe in a publisher they really want to, ha to have something that's a mystery it's a mystery 
horror is a horror. Do you know what I mean? Like, my stuff doesn't really fit. It's a crossover. So I think maybe they wouldn't know how to market it or, you know, that type of thing. I don't know what will come into play, but I just feel like my stuff isn't really fitting maybe into that category situation. Well, it could also be be difficult to tell a story that has lots of different aspects to it just 28 pages at a time once a month. Exactly, exactly. So I really liked this idea of the novel. Um, Combining it, though, with these, like, artistic elements of the artwork, and then now it's come up with the RPG and, you know, having a cosplayer, we're having um, cosplay of Brinja and who knows, maybe another character. We'll see what happens. But there's just all these other elements that come into it, which I really like that Kickstarter is um, that type of a springboard where I can offer these extras to people. Um, it affords me a really good opportunity that way. So you get, I feel like they get the book, but so much more, especially right. the audiobook. It's like all your senses are kind of coming into play with just reading this book, you know, and things I could never offer with a regular sales situation. Kickstarter is great. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I understand there's definitely um, challenges along the way. And, you know, I just feel more like because this is maybe my third go around, I have a bit more of a handle on what those challenges are and how to deal with them. So, yeah, that means, you know, I hope that all the backers feel confident that, you know, they're going to get what they're supporting. I think so, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's good. (laughs) So, primarily, you're going to be a novelist for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right now I'm doing my novels. I also, you can find my writing. Um, I also write for CBS Man Cave Daily. I do, like, featured interviews and articles for them periodically. And also for CBR. I do some articles for them. That's where um, I also, first. Uh, that's where I first discovered you was reading. Is it on CBR? Yeah. I I always wonder where which article did you see? Oh, I do can't even remember? remember. I remember seeing your name probably about a year ago, and then it just kept popping up. So right. I just I always ask like people. I'm like, how did you find out about me? Because I don't know. But I wondered because a lot of people didn't like. They were kind of pissed off with me about my Guardians of the Galaxy article. Uh, you know. Um, what did you say? <laughs> Well, it was back in February um, before the trailer was even out, but I was like thinking it would be a flop that, you know, no one had heard, hooked on a feeling yet and that it was just not going to take off. And people were really like, I got a lot of backlash from that. And as soon as the trailer hit, of course, we knew it was going to take off and be a success. But this was prior to all that. I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. And I... I put, you know, that's the thing when you're... A lot of people felt that way, though, because it was a team that nobody knew anything about, and there was really, you weren't sure Marvel could do the right job marketing it, but obviously once you saw what they were doing, it was all perfect. Well, and especially for for somebody like me who, you know, doesn't read a lot of comics and never heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and thank God I have my husband to educate me. But, you know, I I think that's fair to judge. I mean, who doesn't prejudge things based on, you know, what they've heard? I mean, I whatever. Those people can go jump in a lake. Yeah. <laughs> well, people I know, like my mom, who's never read comics. I mean, trying to explain a movie about a talking tree, like how is that going to take off? You know, that's like a tough sell for middle America, maybe. People who don't have the background in comics, you know, but the marketing was spectacular. And of course, the movie was amazing. And Marvel's just, I don't know, the word of mouth really spread like wildfire with that one, too. Yeah. So, Yeah. So anyway, I was, as I was saying, CBR and then also 2015, I'm going to be um, a Miller World ambassador, as I'm being called. <laughs> um, Mark is doing a, a six-page section in each of his comics that come out. 
and the back will have a featured a cosplayer of the month. There'll be a letter a letter column. There'll be a three page art piece showcasing the new art. You know, and each artist will receive five hundred dollars and be featured in the comic. So that's really it's cool. very cool. It's very cool. You know, I really it's pretty I impressive. It is. I respect that. There's so much opportunity there for new talent, and he's like really wants to showcase that. I'm a big fan of his work, actually. I've, I've read several of his series. Yeah, no, I am too. I am too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's what will be. And then hopefully in 2015, I mean, my biggest goal would be to get a deal to write a comic. So Jim Lee or Joe Quesada, if you're <laughs> listening, call me. <laughs> so are, are Jim Lee and Joe Quesada, I mean, are those the two people you would most want to work with in the comic industry if you did decide to write? Oh, I mean... There's so many amazing writers that I don't, I couldn't even like, I mean, especially after I get more involved, like, like I didn't really know, like with Scott Snyder, I hadn't heard a lot about witches and I started talking to him about it and he just really blew me away the way he was able to describe what he was trying to do, you know, and there's so many people I'd love to work with. Rock Up Church really blows me away every single time when I read Rat Queens. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I deal with him and I'm like, oh my God, you're so amazing. Um, I really want to have Rock illustrate a comic for me, but a stupid Rat Queens is a New York Times bestseller now. <laughs> He's so famous, darn it. But um, who knows, maybe soon. Cool. Well, you did have a small short story in a comic come out, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did a short story. Part of a part of a story with Mark McKenna uh, that he was organizing for Boonana Tales. So that is actually, I never would have imagined my first comic credit would be <laughs> about a monkey <laughs> in Boonana Tales. But, you know... I had so much fun writing that, and I made a really funny, actually a funny video to promote that. I don't know if you saw it. No, I didn't, or, but I'll go find it now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, swearing. I'm, like, this bleeping bleep story, because it's all for kids, right? So <laughs> I was just, like, this is a way to market it towards the adults. So they get a kind of kick out of it, maybe want to buy it. But I, I really had a, had a good time writing that. Um, so, yeah, now I can actually say I'm actually a comic book writer. But, um, you know, I do have a lot of ideas that I'd love to get off the ground. So any studio was interested or, you know, there's tons of people I'd love to work with. That was one other thing I noticed when I was researching you. I noticed you had an IMDb page for uh, Versus Reality. Is there a chance of that being made into a movie? Versus Reality has been in development for years for me because that was my first, actually, books that I, that I wrote. And Hollywood movies, you know, they take a long time. So I had someone express interest in it a long time ago, but it's not in the works right now. So we'll see. I mean, they're saying potentially 2016 could be a possibility for that. I have to really revamp it and get it out there because I focus so much on, um, you know, arena mode. Right. But I do have this whole series that I've already written versus reality, which I'm, I'm those characters that I've written to are so close to my heart because they were the first ones that I ever really got out there. So, yeah, I hope that something happens with it. And the studio that I talked to before, there was a director that was attached, but no actors. So I'll have to see what happens with that. Okay. That would be amazing. That's pretty so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, you're pretty impressive. And I, I think anybody who, who tries to put you in a corner or say anything, they, they better watch out. You know, it's hard to be like, um, I don't want to be like complaining or anything like that. But, you know, to be a female within kind of like a more, I would say, male-dominated, perhaps, or 
male focused, you know, area can be tricky, but I really, I just, if anybody ever tries to poke fun, I just poke fun right back. I'm not like, I don't take offense easily. And I think some things can be really funny. So I have a really good sense of humor that way. And I try to just always be, be light and look towards positive and ignore the negative. Absolutely. You know, and and it's hard. I'm sure it's hard, especially, you know, you really have to have a thick skin and, you know, I think as women, I think that's something that is lacking in in in, in some of us. I, I don't, not in myself and not in you, but I think in the majority maybe out there, they don't have it. But I agree. I agree. You know, sometimes there is a feeling. I think I'm, well, women in general, I don't know all women, but myself. I am, I can be very emotional about things. And sometimes if I read a comment and I think, oh, is that saying it this way or are they meaning it that way? And I'm like trying to figure out, is that like a dig at me or are they saying something else? And if there's going to be backlash, I just I can't be serious about it because I'm putting myself out there and I'm an author that I also poke fun of myself and I post funny pics. So exactly. you know, if I'm going to do that, I just have to accept it and move on. So that's fine. But I've honestly like out of everything that I've ever heard from you know, friends or Facebook followers or people on Twitter, it's been like 99% positive. People are so awesome. Yeah. They are. Like I can only see that. I can see that just on everything that you've done and everything that I've seen. It's, it's really impressive and amazing. So, um, hands down to you, you've done a fantastic job. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that. And I do, I really enjoy part of the reason I really like that is being able to interact with people on, you know, so many platforms via Facebook, email, Twitter, like it's amazing how many, you know, it's overwhelming sometimes because I don't know if I can keep up. <laughs> like, it's like two in the morning and I'm thinking, oh, did I reply to that guy? Do I need to write something else? I, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, running the podcast, not not on the same scope as you because, I mean, I've got 10% of the followers you have. But it is very difficult to respond to everybody all the time and get emails sent and everything. It's like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, people get offended. Sometimes someone will be like, I wrote you three days ago and you haven't sent me a reply or I wrote you last month. I'm like, oh my gosh, if only you could see how many requests I get daily to like read people's novels, comics, you know, like review stuff for them, give feedback. Like it's just, it's overwhelming because I just, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time in the day just to do all the things I want to do. You know, so I, I, I get some of those and it's, it's actually a little bit funny because I, yeah. I only recently started getting into comics and reading stuff. So I'm like, I, I get all excited and I'll text Justin. He'll be like, oh, somebody wants me to read their stuff. And he's like, yeah, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say it like that. I'm just kidding. But, but you know, he's like, uh, I don't know. Or send it to me. I'll check it out. But it, I'm, I'm always, like, over-enthusiastic. But that's just me. That's well, my personality. We, we get pretty inundated with requests to come on the show and talk about stuff. And, you know, a, a lot of the independent guys that reach out to me, I love to have them on because I really yeah. like their projects. But I have to look at their project and make sure it's something that I think is pretty cool that we can talk about before I say yay or nay, you know? Yeah. And every, right. one, every once in a while, somebody will send me something and it's just, like, I don't want to be rude to them, but it's just not something that I'm that interested in or it doesn't look like something that you know we have a lot to discuss about and right. you know I'll, I'll offer to write them a short little review or something but I don't really want to have them on for the full hour of the show because it's it's hard yeah yeah it's hard to pick and shoot I think too I was just gonna say because of self-publishing options nowadays it seems like everybody has a project everyone is so yeah. passionate about it they just want to get it out there 
and they want your help and they want you to be um, as excited as, you know, their friends and their family. And it's just, I know, it's overwhelming. There's only so much of an audience out there that you can reach to and uh, so much time in a day to do things. So it's difficult. It's difficult for everyone, I'm sure. Everybody has their own stuff going on. The best you can, that's all you can do. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, I'm really excited about the Kickstarter. Um, it goes, it runs until this Sunday at nine o'clock. So it's coming up to the end right now. And, you know, the last couple of days are exciting kind of leading up to the ending. But everyone that I know who's excited about getting those extras, because now for sure we've met those stretch goals, right? It's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. They're like, okay, you know, some people I think are waiting almost until this period of time because they're like, okay, for sure that stuff is going to happen, you know? Yeah. So there's that excitement level to it. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at it right now at Kickstarter, and it says 71 hours to go, 593 backers, $41,316 of 15000 met. So that's pretty amazing. Oh, my gosh. They're counting it down by the hour now. And that was just like, <laughs> I'm sleeping. Only 40 more hours left. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, no, it's exciting. And I think that's part of what the, maybe the draw or the, um, yeah, I guess the draw towards Kickstarter, the allure of it, because it's, it is exciting. It's like, you don't know, is this going to happen? Is it not going to happen? What is it going to be like? It's like a game show mentality, right? Like everything yes. is, you know, go, go, go. Totally so, game show mentality. It's like, is somebody going to die? What's going to happen? <laughs> We've been pretty lucky with the people that we've chosen to have on for the Kickstarters. I think every single one, with the exception of one, has succeeded. Yes. Okay, that's good. So. And you're a lucky charm, then. We should. Uh, <laughs> he is. He's my. So. He's my lucky. You should advertise that. <laughs> Normally, oh, he says funny. I'm his lucky charm, so maybe it's me. I don't know. Yeah, but if you say that publicly, people are going to be begging you to come on the show now. <laughs> you should be on your show. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to our next segment called Tell Me a Funny Story. Okay, so, I mean, I have so many funny stories. I'm like, I just find, I feel like I get myself into so many funny situations, but I mean, I'm sure everybody does, but. I have one in particular that's kind of funny and relevant to comics. So I thought I'd tell this story. Okay. So last Hi. year, I was invited by Mark Miller to attend the Kick-Ass 2 movie premiere in San Diego. And it happened to be running at the exact same day as the San Diego Comic-Con. So I was like, wow, you know, to kill two birds with one stone, I get to like go to the Comic-Con, which I've never been to before. And it's huge. It's like the top one in the world. So I was like, I have to go. And then to attend this amazing, like, play, it was a Playboy-themed party for nice. the movie. Right. So I was like, okay, this is going to be crazy, like a Hollywood movie premiere, da-da-da. So I get all ready. I go to the border. I, I'm living in Canada, right? So I was um, driving across the border, actually, to catch a last-minute flight out of Buffalo. It was I had to leave at, like, I don't know, 3 in the morning from my house to get there. And the decision to go was... You know, within 48 hours, I had to decide if I was going to this thing. So it was all very, very rushed. So anyways, I decided to go. I left the house really early in the morning. I got to the border. I went across the border, and I had brought with me a couple of my books to give to, you know, Mark Miller, um, the people I was going to be meeting there, Dave Gibbons, a couple of people I knew would be there. Right. Very 
Ray Plass is my friend. He was there. He's um, Chris Mintz Plass's father. So he was there. So anyways, I get to the border and the border patrol people were like, um, the immigration people were all men. And they were like, because I looked a little done up, I guess. I had my makeup and stuff and I had a kind of an outfit on because I'm like, I'm flying to California, right? Right. So I wanted to look good when I got off the plane. Um, so I went out and they pulled me over right away. The guy was like, uh, why are you coming across the border at three in the morning? And even though I told them I'm coming to catch uh, a flight. He's like, well, when are you going out? And I said, this morning, I'm flying, flying out. And they said, when are you coming back? And I'm like, uh, tomorrow night. And he said, you're flying to California for one day. I'm like, yes, because I have to attend a movie premiere and go to the Comic-Con. And he's like, the movie premiere? Like, as if, like, who are you to be going to movie premiere, right? So they called me in to get questioned. This is me in the middle of the night, right? So they ended up detaining me in this room, questioning me. Didn't I guess they didn't believe that I was just going for a day, not to sell. They kept asking me what I was selling at the convention. What are you going to be selling there? What are you What are you selling at the convention? Are you signing autographs? How much is it going to be? I'm like, no, I'm not signing any autographs. I'm just going to walk around the convention and attend this party and come home. So they ended up going through my bag, and in my bag they found like four copies of my book, what? and they started asking me, are you going to sell this book? Are you going to make a profit off this book? I was like, no, they're gifts, right? Then they were like, okay, well, if you're so famous, you're going to a movie premiere. They wanted to look me up online. So I said, fine, go to my site. <laughs> so four of these aren't like in the full army, like, you know, outfits and everything. They're, they're gear, the border immigration patrol people. Um, they went and they were surfing the net, looking at my pictures um, flipping through them. Meanwhile, I am about like 40 minutes from catching my plane. I'm like, literally, I'm like sweating bullets. I'm like, I'm going to miss this flight. Seriously, can you just let me go? You know? That's yeah. how so I felt driving home today. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, they they finally let me go. Um, but he called all his friends over to kind of like check out my my pictures in front of me, right? As I'm standing there, they're like, ooh, check this out. I'm like, I have to catch a plane here. <laughs> So that was pretty funny Um, just to get through the border. There was like, I didn't know if I was going to make, I thought I was going to have to cancel and just miss my flight. So anyway, that was pretty funny. In retrospect, I mean, it was funny to me because I, at the time I was terrified. I was like sweating. I thought like literally they're going to do something, like keep me there, like arrest me. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's part of you that starts to sweat and feel like you are doing something wrong, even though you're not, right? doesn't matter what it is you're like freaking out you're like oh my god what did I do yeah that's pretty crazy well that was pretty and it ended up being a really great time I mean I got to meet so many wonderful people and the party was crazy it was like the craziest probably 24 hours of my life um Nathan Fillion was there and you know to be like I'm a I like I'm such a nerd I'm such a regular girl I grew up I grew up in a little town to see like high profile celebrities sitting like less than a foot away from you to me I was like total geeking out geeking out like ridiculous <laughs> I, I would have been the same way I, I was in the same room with uh george foreman who made the foreman grill he was literally sitting like 10 feet away from me and i was like holy shit he made the george foreman grill like i want to go touch <laughs> yeah. him. which is totally weird i'm like i'm like why would i like i didn't even know what to say he came up to me he started to talk to me i couldn't even talk to him it was really yeah, everybody yeah. experiences that at conventions and stuff though i mean yeah we, we interviewed lou ferrigno and that was crazy. Like he came and sat down at our table, and we had our mics all set up and everything. And he, uh, wow, he was just like, "Hey, how's it going?" He shook our hands, and he was just like, "We're talking to the Hulk." 
is so surreal. <laughs> he still like really muscular when you interviewed him. Was he like buff? He had he had lost a little bit of mass, but he's still. I mean, he's obviously like still a huge guy. He's still really ripped. Yeah. Well, yeah. That I think anyone would be like, wow. You know, it's hard not to be. I, I was trying not to be because I'm like, don't embarrass yourself. Come on, get it together. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, holy crap. Julie Benz is on her phone right next to me. I'm like. Darla is checking her email, like, right next to me. Like, I'm just freaking out, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was so amazing. And Chris Mint's class was there. And he is, like, just whatever, you know. He's so cool. He was really, really nice. So, I, I mean, everybody I met was awesome. But it was one of those once-in-a-lifetime things, I think. And uh, just made you feel pretty pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So, no, no trouble on the return trip, huh? Well... There's another story about when I left the party after they had a drink there called the Red Mist. And everybody, because in the movie, you know, his name's the Red Mist. Right. So they had a drink named after him. And everyone was pushing these drinks like crazy. Meanwhile, I hadn't eaten very much that day because I had to fit into my dress. So <laughs> I was like on these killer heels. There's all these like Playboy bunnies coming out all over the place holding these trays just filled with drinks. And people are just drinking like nuts. I'm not I'm not used to that heavy hardcore drinking. So I, you know, I had a few and then I stood up and I was like, whoa, those are pretty, pretty hardcore drinks. <laughs> you know, it was kind of tipsy. And um, on the way home, because the party was so big, it was like on a whole city block in downtown San Diego. You know, there was like red lights everywhere. There was a shark tank filled with real sharks behind the bar. There was like this um, scaffolding that went up a hundred feet in the air and they had an actual stuntman lit on fire who flipped off of it onto the ground. Like they were doing crazy stunts in the middle of like the city. I was just like, this is insane. But there was no cabs to get home. Like the cabs were all gone and I was feeling kind of sick. So I was like, okay, you know, the celebrities are all in their limousines. Then there was this little guy at the back with a rickshaw, you know, the ones where they, you sit yeah. in the back. They pedal you. Yeah. And that was the only, that was the only thing available. And I'm like, okay, I have to get out of here before anything bad happens. So I'm in the city. I don't know how am I going to get back to the hotel. So he's like, here, I'll take you. I'll take you. I get in. Literally, I'm like on the rickshaw going through San Diego, <laughs> drunk as a skunk, going back to my hotel. And I, I remember looking around, just being like, what is happening? This is my life. I'm like. <laughs> happening here like I'm in a rickshaw what like you know and then he ends up dropping me off of course two blocks away from my hotel I didn't know that and I'm in these heels that are like I can't even barely walk into the, walk in them anymore so this really nice um I stopped at a hotel there and a really nice um bellboy was outside and he was like you know this isn't the best part of town it's downtown you're in the middle of the night I'll walk you back to your um to your hotel so he was very sweet and did that so that was the ending of my night, which was pretty crazy. But then the rest of the way home was fine. <laughs> That's good. I've only been to San Diego one time, and uh, there's so many hills. I walked everywhere. I think I walked like 18 miles in two days. By the time I got home, wow. I had huge blisters on my feet. It was horrible. So yeah, and it, I love. I mean, we, never, we saw the rickshaws. We just never rode in one. <laughs> right, right. Well, I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been my first uh, choice, right? So, <laughs> but I mean, as a Canadian, seeing palm trees everywhere—it's like, oh, I was in heaven. It felt like I was meeting a celebrity. Just seeing all the palm trees, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty cool. I like that. I was just nerding out the entire time I was there. Really, that's all right, though. 
that's, that's pretty. Awesome. That's pretty amazing. I, I can say I've never ridden in a rickshaw, and uh, but I've seen plenty of palm trees. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's yeah. better. The difference between Texas and Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Everybody yeah. rides a horse. Well, some people do. We have well, we have polar bears here too, right? So we got to watch out for the polar bears. Um, but. Most of us live in igloos, and <laughs> we eat maple syrup for breakfast. You know, it's oh. funny when you hear people people think of it up here, but, I mean, some of it's true. I mean, it's freaking snowing out today. Like, it's snowing already, so <sighs> winter's coming. Winter's it's pretty cold here, actually, for, for Houston, yeah, for, Texas. Cold for Texas. It's it's like in the 30s. It's supposed to get down in the 20s tonight, which is odd for us. Typically in November, we have, like, 80-degree weather until, like, February 1st and then we finally get some freezing weather and it's like a joke and everybody wears their coats for like five yeah. days and then they take them off and put their shorts and sandals back on and it's like whatever because every other day is like a different temperature you never know what the hell it's gonna be here <laughs> yeah one yeah. day it's snowing then you got summer and then you got winter you, you experience all the seasons in one day sometimes that's crazy. Yeah, my sister lives down there, and she's always complaining because she's from Canada, so she's used to the cold. And to move down there, she lives in Katy, which is right near you guys, I guess, in Houston. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I went to visit her there, and I was like, this heat is unbearable. Like, I, as a person from the cold, I couldn't handle it. Like, I was just like, this is – I can't even take it. It's so I, hot. I can't take it either. I'm, I'm from Oklahoma, which is not – too drastically different from Texas, except that we have seasons, actual seasons. And basically, the day I moved to Texas, I set my thermostat at 65, and I don't think I've changed it since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. My mom, she's 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 visiting from Florida, and she can't stand being cold. She hates it. She's so used to being warm. And, mm -hmm. and uh, she, it's funny because she grew up up north, and I was born up north. And I, I don't know. I just I love being cold. Yeah, me well, you should move back here if you want to be cold. It's cold here all the time. I'm sick of the cold, but it's, anyways, we're veering off track here. I'm sorry. I'm getting into a weather a weather update. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, I have a bit of a funny story as well. Shoot it out. Love to hear that. Okay. This is something that my, my parents came to visit this past weekend, and they brought me a tub full of all kinds of junk from my childhood. And I, I kind of dug through it, and one of the things that I found was a letter that I wrote to myself when I was 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it in my uh, literature arts class when I was in sixth grade. They wanted us to write a letter to ourselves when we were 40, telling us what the future was. So I wrote this long letter, and it's pretty funny, so I'm just going to read it. <laughs> All right, 11-year-old you. Right. Hey, Justin, it's me, Justin. Uh, yeah, you know from back in the 90s. You're probably wondering why I skipped 28 years. Well, it's because the teacher said we had to. I can't believe how fast the years have gone by. I'm now 40 years old, and it seems like it was just yesterday where I was a 12-year-old sitting back in Miss Baldwin's room listening to her read The Hobbit. It's still one of my favorite books. Enough about how the years have gone by. Let's get down to me and everything that's gone on in the last 28 years and is going on now. My first year of college, Civil War II broke out. Pretty weird, huh? Anyways, what happened was the Southerners wanted to elect Bill Clinton again, but the Northerners were refusing it because they didn't want such a dingbat as president. <laughs> so one day while Bill was at the White House, a secret agent of the Northerners named Stuart Styron, some dude with a buzz haircut, followed him and shot him while he was asleep. Then he went to the parking lot and he threw him in a dumpster. The next morning, the garbage man found him in the trash compactor and crushed him. 
Then two days later, that garbage man was given the Congressional Medal of Honor and also the right to become president, but I'll talk more about him later. Also in my last year of college, I was messing around with a tanning machine, and it broke, or so I thought it did. I was so scared of getting in trouble, I turned and ran. I bumped into a skeleton that was in the room with me, and it fell into the tanning machine. I, said, I thought I was going to get in trouble for it, but what happened when I turned and started to run away is the skeleton got up and said, Hey, wait up, don't leave me here, and I screamed and ran. The next day, a professor from Oxford University came up to me and congratulated me for making a machine that could turn anything to life. Seven days later, on graduation day, I got a major in science and a minor in arts, and that was college for me. After my debut in college, I was paid more money than Jed Clampett could have if he had won the lottery. I went on and got married to a beautiful girl, and we had five children. We had three boys and two girls. Our oldest boy is named Jacob, our next youngest boy is named Soramon, and our youngest boy is named Justin Jr., our oldest girl is named Glory, and our youngest girl is named Judy. They don't like their brothers, so that doesn't matter anyways. That's what my family is like. We live in literature estates. It was created for old retired literature teachers. I live with my teachers. We have the largest house in the neighborhood. <laughs> and I gave my uh, next door neighbor a million dollars because she was my favorite teacher back in sixth grade. The world is very peaceful nowadays. We've, we've established homes on all the planets. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Pluroglottodociadotic, which is a planet in the Andromeda galaxy. They found a cure for AIDS, cancer, and torn muscles. They're still working on the common cold. We have a cracker machine for food. We tell it what to make the cracker taste like, and it fills you up without making you any fatter. Everything is free nowadays, and cars run on carbon dioxide, so you don't have to buy any expensive gasoline. They also float on the air, which is pretty cool. As I've already mentioned, we had Civil War II, but that was nothing compared to World War III. It was the worst war the world had ever seen. Some nutcase named Saddam Hussein brought Hitler back to life, as well as David Koresh, and they formed a team including my history teacher and my science teacher. <laughs> it was the biggest war we've ever seen, but eventually the sixth grade class of old came out the winners. Saddam, Hitler, and one of the teachers was killed in the war. The other one was taken to the Lauser Teachers Penitentiary on Pluto, and they were never seen again. Now, because I was the one who killed Saddam and Hitler, I'm extremely rich and powerful. My own personal secretary, Mr. Bones, the skeleton from the tanning machine, helped me kill them by pretending to be me like I was dead, and then I snuck up behind them and killed them. And that is how we got to be the two richest men in the world. Several of us went on to become famous. Some of my friends have become the president, the vice president, and I'm now the richest man in the world. That's the conclusion of my letter to myself. I'll make another one if I ever accomplish anything greater than what I've already done. But if I don't, keep this one and remember me. Sayonara. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I like how your uh, tanning booth brought back to life the uh, skeleton. I was a creative kid. I don't know. It's kind of a weird story. <laughs> I think this is gold. You should turn this into a comic. That's what I told him. <laughs> he, he read it to me uh, over the week, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's brilliant!" You put Bill Clinton in a trash compactor <laughs> and you killed him. Who wouldn't read that? I'm like. You said sayonara. I'm like, are you Japanese in the future? Does Japan take over the U.S. and Third World War? It very well could happen. I'll have to, I'll have to ask myself when I'm 40. Right. <laughs> How close are you to that? I'm still like eight years away. We got, we got time. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, that's it for my funny story. I just, I thought that was amusing. A little uh, look back at my writing from when I was a kid. Pretty that was funny. Pretty funny. Uh, we do have a little bit of movie news and TV news from this week. Awesome. Uh, apparently, in the movies, uh, Jai Courtney is in talks to play Deadshot in a Suicide Squad movie. 
they're also supposedly talking to Jared Leto for The Joker. Nice. Margot Robbie for Harley. Tom Hardy for Rick Flagg. And Will Smith for somebody. We don't know who yet. And they've also said that Jesse Eisenberg is supposed to reprise his role as like Lex Luthor. I saw you posted something about Jared Leto being The Joker. How do you feel about that, Blake? Uh, I love that. He He is kind of just crazy enough, I think. He's got some, like, edge to him. And, you know, he's... He was really amazing in Fight Club. I don't know. I, I I just think he's good. I haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, but I heard he was really good in that. I mean, obviously, um, he won an Oscar for it, so I think he's a very good caliber actor. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I loved him growing up in the 90s, especially in my so-called life, and I've loved him in anything he does. I, I really don't care. I just like him in general. And I saw the... I haven't seen the whole um, movie of Dallas Buyers Club, but I've seen uh, most of it, and he was phenomenal in what I saw. One thing that I think is that he's a good choice for somebody that'll make the role their own mm-hmm. instead of trying to do what Heath Ledger did. Yeah. Oh. So. Well, I think he was in... Um was he in Panic Room? He was in Panic Room, too. Yeah, he was really good in Panic Room. I'd, I've been a fan of his, actually, for another area, because he's in a band called 30 Seconds to Mars, and I really like that band. Yeah, it's yeah. one of Miguel's favorite bands, too. Yeah. So, I mean, all my workout mixes are to them. <laughs> I'm always listening to his music. But um, I think, yeah, it would be a mistake for him to copy anyone and just try to do it, like you said, uh, do it his own way. One other piece of movie news from the week. Uh, apparently in the Fantastic Four movie, they're changing Doctor Doom's backstory. Uh, he's not going to be Victor Von Doom as we all know him. He's going to be a computer programmer who also does blogging on the side. And his name is going to be Victor Domashev. Uh, Doom is going to be his internet handle, which is where he gets his persona once he gets the transformation. So it's kind of a weird change, but there's a lot of weird changes going on with Fantastic Four. So... I don't really know. I don't really know how I feel about that. <laughs> He's surfing the internet, and uh, all of a sudden, then he becomes a uh, Doctor Doom. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, a little bit of TV news. Uh, Shield. There's some speculation that the Inhumans are going to originally appear on that show, and then go on to do the movie in 2016. Hmm. You know, all the stuff that was going on with Coulson and the scratchings he was doing on the wall. In the last episode, they found out that it was a city, and a lot of speculation is that that is actually a Tillin, which is pretty cool. I would love to see the Inhumans show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. As That's far as awesome. the DC side, Jason Rush has apparently been cast as Firestorm in The Flash. Uh, Rainbow Raider and Captain Boomerang are supposed to appear in the Flash and Arrow crossover episodes next month. Uh, Katie Cassidy has posted several pictures online of herself in the new Black Canary outfit, yeah. uh, which I actually like the design that she has more than I liked her sister's. Hmm. Um, and then one thing I want to touch on, it's not really news, but if you watched last night's Arrow, uh, you saw the boxing glove Arrow finally come out, which is so cool. <laughs> boxing glove, I was like, did that just happen? I actually like rewound that like twice. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Uh, it was it was just great. I love that show. I love everything about that show. I do too. And that's it for news. Um, not a whole lot going on this week. It's quiet. Yeah. Well, that's because Miguel's not here. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Oh my gosh, that he has so many damn personalities. He's insane. But. Oh well, I'm sad that I missed him. Uh, you'll have to say hi for me. I will. Yeah, we will definitely. I, I always give him shit all the time, so <laughs> he counts on me to give him hell for stuff. Well, we want to thank you, Blake, for coming on. It was great to talk to you. Uh, do oh, you wanna... thank you for having me. That was awesome. Do you want to do a plug for your Kickstarter one, real quick? Well, if you go to arenamo.com. Uh, you can get all the information there, and it runs until Sunday, the 16th, at 9 p.m. 
So there's a couple more days left and then uh, it'll be over. So yeah, if you want to check it out, it's just arenamode.com. Cool. I want to remind all of our listeners that uh, we're looking for ratings on iTunes and Stitcher, so please go out there, subscribe to the show, and give us a five-star review. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Comical Podcast. Miguel is at Comical Podcast 2. Heather is at Comical Podcast 3. And Blake is... Oh, at Twitter, I'm at Comic Book Girl. <laughs> Sorry, at Comic Book Girl. And then... G-R-R-L. Uh, G-R-R-L. Yeah. And then lastly, um, follow us on Instagram. We recently started an Instagram page. Uh, it's at Comical Podcast, just like everywhere else. Do it. <laughs> and that's it, guys. So uh, thanks for listening, and keep on laughing, bitches. That's right.